Last Saturday night, uh, we had one of my absolutely favorite events here at Generations Church as part of our, our global missions weekend, and that was our International Supper. So our International Supper is where people from our congregation volunteer to bring food uh, that's part of their family heritage, and then the rest of us get to come and eat it. It's an awesome, awesome event. And those of us who were there, we went home stuffed to the gills, uh, full of joy in the Lord. And those of you that missed it, well, too bad for you because it was good. But uh, So it's a super fun evening. And I wanted to bring a little international flair to the event. So I wanted to wear the shirt I was given when we visited the Democratic Republic of Congo a few years ago. So, so there's my shirt and there's Bowden. Bowden is serving some borscht that was delicious. And I'm serving serving pork hocks and sauerkraut. So if you love pork hocks and sauerkraut, you should have been there last Saturday night. And, and just so you know, I did not make the pork hocks. My wife made the pork hocks and, and I was just uh, taking my turn uh, serving Donna right there in that picture. So so if you remember last weekend, uh, the weather was just kind of getting over that cold snow season that we had. So I needed to wear a shirt underneath my Congo Africa shirt. Otherwise, I was going to freeze, right? So, so I went to my closet, and I found this, this long sleeve gray T-shirt. I thought, well, this will work underneath my shirt. So I put it on, put my Congo shirt on, and, and said, Aileen, you know, how do I look? Because I'm a smart man. I always check it out with my wife. <laughs> and she's, oh, you look fine. You look good. Um, but... I don't know, it just, it just kind of felt small. And I said, you know, I think this thing shrunk. I think it shrunk. So anyway, I wore it to the International Supper and uh, we had a great evening. And, and when I got home, I, you know, I was just pulling the sleeves down and it just kind of kept riding up. And, and I said, Aileen, I think this thing shrunk. The sleeves are too short. It just feels too tight. What happened to this shirt? Then Aileen says, are you sure that's your shirt? Do you even have a long sleeve gray tee? And then I got thinking. And I realized the long sleeve t-shirt I have is black, not gray. And Aileen says, I think you're wearing my shirt. And she checked the label and sure enough, I was wearing her shirt. And if you know my wife, you know she is smaller than I am. And that's why it was tight. And that's why the sleeves are too short. And that's why it kept riding up because I'm just slightly bigger than my wife. So instead of my shirt getting shrunk in the dryer, I had worn her shirt to the International Supper and stretched it all out of shape. Uh, this morning, we're kicking off a new, new series called Accidentally accidentally, and, and we're going to talk about uh, some things that just kind of accidentally happen in our lives. You know, we've all had those moments where we've done something accidentally, and then there's that moment of realization. And, and I must say that when we realized I had to wear in her shirt, Aileen thought that was hilarious. I mean, I think she's still laughing at me about it, but you know, stuff happens like that time you're out fishing and you go to throw the anchor over the boat and you realize that you had untied it and forgotten to tie it back up. Away goes your anchor. Uh, you know, that, that time that you were baking and you couldn't figure out why the muffins tasted terrible. And then you realize that you had put in baking soda instead of baking powder. Uh, you know, or you put in salt instead of sugar. 
or that time that you worked all weekend to finish that assignment and then you walk into class on Monday morning and you realize the philosophy paper was due next week. It was actually the history paper that was due that morning. Accidentally, stuff can happen in our lives. And we've all had instances uh, where we do something and then comes that moment of recognition, that moment of perception where reality comes and smacks us and we realize that we have been blissfully unaware and oblivious to what's really going on. And sometimes that's a very uncomfortable moment. I wish that accidental moments were limited to fishing trips and and baking mishaps, but sometimes those accidents touch our lives in much deeper ways. We suddenly have that moment of recognition that somehow our life has surprisingly or accidentally ended up somewhere that we did not intend, somewhere that we did not expect. You know, we didn't intend to experience burnout and then the depression that followed. We didn't intend to have our marriage become distant and disconnected. We didn't intend to compromise our values or our ethics at work or in that relationship. We didn't intend to drift in our faith or our commitment to Jesus, but it just, it just kind of happened. It happened unexpectedly. It, it happened accidentally. And, and then one day we have that moment of realization that, that, that that's what's happened. That's where we are. That, that's what we've become. We've become something that we didn't plan on becoming and it seemingly happened accidentally. So over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about a number of different things that just kind of happen in our lives, sometimes accidentally, But one of the things that I want to talk about this morning that can really sneak up on us if we're not being aware is something called cynicism. Cynicism. Nobody sets out to become cynical. It's like Carrie Newhoff says, nobody writes in their high school yearbook, I hope to grow jaded and distrustful of humanity by the time I hit 40. I'm also hoping that my cynicism will damage my family and make me impossible to work with. Nobody writes that. That, That's not any of our dream or or aspirations. In fact, most of us, I think, are naturally very optimistic, especially when we're young. There is this idealism, there's this optimism about life and this world, and, and yeah, there's issues and there's problems, but we believe that we can make a difference. You know, we believe that we can make the world a better place. And then life happens and we experience some stuff and we see some things and that natural optimism about people and that natural optimism about life uh, begins to erode in our souls and ultimately it gets displaced by a distrust of people, a distrust of organizations, a distrust of the world. You see, that, that's what a cynic is. A cynic is someone who is distrustful of people. A cynic is someone who just, you know, believes that 
People are just in it for themselves. They're in it for what they can get out of it. They're just, they're just caring about number one, them. <laughs> and so cynics don't trust people. They, they don't trust organizations. They don't trust the government. I remember the first brush I had with, with cynicism that was significant. And looking back on it, it was, it was accidental. Aileen and I were pastoring our our first church, and uh, I remember very clearly we were doing this preaching sermon series on First Thessalonians, and so we've been preaching through First Thessalonians, and then we get to, to chapter four where it talks about marriage and, and sexuality, you know, how it's God's will for you to be holy and stay away from all sexual sin, and God's called us to live holy, not impure lives, and so <laughs> I waxed eloquent about uh, marriage and, and sexuality, and at the end of the service, a young couple came forward for prayer. Uh, I'll call them Sam and Tracy. Uh, they had three little kids. Uh, they'd been coming to our church just for a, a few weeks. And, and you could just tell God was beginning to work on their hearts. And it was, it was kind of neat to see what was happening. But they were struggling with life. Uh, they were struggling financially. They were struggling in their, in their home, just, just overwhelmed. And so I preached this sermon, and, and they come up at the end of the service uh, for prayer, and with, with tears running down their faces, they said, you know, Darcy, what you said about marriage really spoke to us. Uh, we need to get married. Now, I wasn't surprised that they weren't married. In fact, I knew they weren't married. And, and so I just said, well, you know, I'm so glad God's speaking to your heart. Uh, we would love to, to see you get married. And then uh, Sam said, well, there, there's a slight problem. Uh, I'm already married to somebody else. Okay, that, that's, that's a problem. And the story was that, that Sam had gotten married really young and it was a mistake. That marriage only lasted for something like eight months. They had split up. Uh, but Sam had never bothered to do anything about his first marriage because he never had enough money to pay the legal fees for the divorce. So he just kind of walked away and she walked away and they were not together or in contact with each other, but they were still technically married. And in the meantime, Sam had met Tracy. And now five years later, here they were in our church with their three little kids, all under the age of five, you know, wondering how they could get their lives sorted out and, and how they could, you know, really serve Jesus. And so they're standing at the front and, and I said, well, you know, I can't help you with your divorce, but we can help you get married. Well, it took about a year. Uh, Sam finally scraped enough cash together to, to finalize his divorce. And I did the, the pre-marriage counseling while Aileen babysat their kids and we spent hours with them. We embraced them into our, our little church. And when it came time for the wedding, I did the wedding and Aileen lent Tracy uh, her wedding dress. And I think you were actually a, a bridesmaid and our little church put on the wedding reception for them. Uh, some of our church family got together and, and sent them on a little weekend honeymoon getaway. And, you know, it was just really neat to kind of be part of that whole process of them, you know, kind of walking forward in their, in their journey with Jesus. And then about six weeks after the wedding, uh, I hadn't seen them for a couple of Sundays, so, so I called them to see how they were doing. And, and Sam said, well, you know, I, I know you haven't seen us for a few weeks, but uh, we've decided to go to a different church. What? Yeah, yeah, we've, we've decided to go to 
a different church. And of course, my mind just starts to spin. I, I like, really? After all that we've done for you? I mean, we had poured hours into Sam and Tracy. We had loved them. We had discipled them. We had babysat their kids. I, I mean, that was, that was the challenge. Uh, you know, we'd given them a wedding. Right down to the wedding dress and the food at the reception. And after all of that, they decided to go to another church? I was, I was, I was hurt. In fact, in fact uh, I, I felt used. I, I, was, I was angry. I mean, after all that we had done, after all the time, after all the energy, after all the investment, and, and I have to admit that after that, there was a part of me that said, well, if that's what's gonna happen, what's the point? I mean, if that's the way it's gonna turn out, why bother? If you really care for people and you put yourself out there, you're just going to get hurt. You're just going to get disappointed. You're just going to get used. So you know what? Keep your guard up. Don't trust people. Don't invest in people. And what I didn't realize is that I had accidentally become a cynic. I had just kind of begun to believe that people were just in it for themselves and that people couldn't be trusted. And so you had to keep your guard up. You know, don't trust, don't care too deeply. Expect to be disappointed. And so Newhoff in his, in his book, Didn't See It Coming, says cynicism begins not because you don't care, but because you do care. That's, that's really the root of cynicism. You poured your heart into something with great hopes and aspirations, but then you get burned. You know, maybe you fell in love. You trusted that guy or you trusted that girl with your heart, uh, but your heart got broken. Maybe you poured yourself into that job. You worked hard. You sacrificed and then you get passed over for that promotion or maybe you get let go. Or maybe you trusted a friend. Maybe even someone in your small group with you know, something in your life only to find out that they didn't keep your confidence, that they actually kind of started to gossip about some of that stuff. And, and, and now you're like, you know what? If that's the way it's gonna be, I'm done. If that's what's gonna happen, I'm through. I'm not going to, to trust people. I'm not going to care. I, I, I'm just going to shut down. So cynicism begins not because you don't care. It's because you do care. And then the next one is cynicism begins because really you know too much. You know too much. You know, we think that knowledge is a good thing, but sometimes we just know too much. In the Old Testament, there's a very philosophical book called Ecclesiastes. And to be honest with you, Ecclesiastes is a little depressing. <laughs> uh, the, the title literally means the preacher. And some biblical scholars say that it was written by Solomon, the wisest person that ever lived. And, and, and he says this, he says, I said to myself, look, I'm wiser than any of the kings who ruled in Jerusalem before me. I have greater wisdom and knowledge than any of them. But I learned firsthand that pursuing all of this was like chasing the wind. The greater my wisdom, the greater my grief. To increase knowledge only increases sorrow. 
You know too much. That, that's actually a very cynical, it's insightful, but, it's, but it's, it's a very cynical outlook. That This whole idea that, you know what, we've been down this road before. We know where this goes. We know what happens next. We know how this story ends. Uh, you know the old saying, you know, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me, right? Because we should learn something. We should learn something. We should know something. And the preacher of Ecclesiastes says that increased knowledge only increases sorrow because the more you know, the more you see life for what it really is. And you experience the reality that life isn't easy and that it's full of setbacks and heartaches and disappointments and people are going to let you down. And and if you've been around long enough, you're going to see the world and you're going to see people for who they really are. And frankly, you can't trust them. You just can't trust them. And after you've been burned, you know, once or twice or 17 times, you come to the point where you go, you know, I know where this story's going. I've seen the ending of this. I've been down this road before. And here's what cynicism does. You then begin to project the past into the future. You begin to project your past pain into your future experiences. So, you know, a new couple shows up in church and you begin to wonder if they're going to take advantage of you. You join a new company, but you know, it's probably just a matter of time until they break their promises too. You know, you go to that wedding and you're sitting around at the reception and you're making bets with your friends about how long this one will last. Because you know too much. You, you, know, you know how it works. You've been down this road before. And it's not that you set out to be a cynical, jaded, suspicious person. It just kind of happened. Accidentally. And then at some point, you had a wake-up moment, and maybe that wake-up moment is this morning, where all of a sudden you realize that you become a person that you never expected to become. You become a person you never wanted to become. Because there's a huge cost to cynicism. When you allow cynicism to to jump in and take root in your soul, you need to understand that, that cynicism will make you aloof, It will make you indifferent. It will make you detached. And and it can seem wise and actually kind of cool to to, to be aloof. I mean, and friends, don't don't miss this. Uh, Cynicism can be kind of cool. Just like sarcasm can be kind of cool, you you know, because you're smart. Because you can see what's really going on. You're you're not going to be fooled. And and you're not going to be allowed this to affect you in in ways that that you don't see until it's too late. Because you know what's going on. And so so there's kind of this this cool aloofness that can be kind of on you. But the problem with that is that it will kill your joy. Cynics are not happy people. And instead of enjoying the moment... You're just too busy figuring, it out, figuring out how it's going to end badly, right? <laughs> You're looking for the fatal flaw. And you lose any sense of 
childlike joy and, and wonder. And so cynicism shrinks your heart. The Grinch was a cynic. Because when your heart shrinks, you can't love people. And not just the people out there, but, but even the people closest to you. When, when, when you become a cynic, it just kind of shrinks your heart and you can't love your family or your spouse or your kids. In fact, you can't even love God. Cynicism will infect your relationship with God because you can no longer trust the way that you need to trust. You, you've closed off your heart and you can't open up your heart to God and, and you begin to wrestle with skepticism and you begin to wrestle with doubt about God's goodness and about God's promises and about God's graciousness. And you begin to think, you know, why should I bother praying? You know, why should I believe? Why should I trust? Because I know where this is going to go. And so cynicism then extinguishes hope. Hope that the future could be different. Hope that the future could be better. You know, hope that your marriage could be better. Hope that your kids could change. You know, hope that your job could improve. Hope that, you know, our, our community or, or even our, our world could be a better place. Because, man, you've just experienced too many of, of the realities of life. And you know that it's hard. And you know that it's hopeless. But friends, that's a hard way to live. And if you're a follower of Jesus, here's what you need to understand this morning. And, and if you're here this morning and you're exploring what it means to be a follower of Jesus or, or, or have faith in, in him, uh, here's what you need to understand it well. Uh, followers of Jesus should be the least cynical people on earth. You're kind of quiet out there. Not that I was looking for a huge amen, but uh, followers of Jesus should be the least cynical people on earth because cynicism and Christianity are actually antithetical to each other. They're, 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 they're the opposites. And if there's anybody that should know anything about things like joy and faith and love and hope, it's followers of Jesus. We were, we were singing about, about hope this morning. In fact, if cynicism wants to extinguish hope, we need to understand that hope is the ultimate antidote for cynicism. In fact, hope is the oxygen to the Christian faith. Hope will breathe life into your soul. And hope, when we're talking about it in this sense, is not something that you manufacture. It's not something that you try to make happen. You know, hope is not just trying to be a positive person. Hope is actually something that's rooted in the character of God. And it's something that he gives to us by his Holy Spirit in our lives. Take a look at what Paul says in, in Romans chapter 15, verse 13. Paul says, I pray that God, the source of Hope. So, so where does hope ultimately come from? 
You know, what, what is the source of hope? God is the source of hope. And so Paul prays, he says, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace. So, so what's the fruit of hope? The fruit of hope is joy and peace. And how do we get it? We get it by trusting in him. That's how we find hope. And then Paul says, you will overflow, not with just any hope, but with confident hope, through the power of the Holy Spirit. So hope is rooted in the character of God. It's something that is, is not just like this positive thinking. It is something that is supernaturally at work in our lives through the Holy Spirit when we trust in Jesus. It's a supernatural thing. And this hope that's found in God has substance. It's not wishful thinking. It's not, you know, ignorance is bliss. It's not this unproven theory. You know, it's not like God doesn't know what's going on in the world, right? I mean, God understands what's going on. He totally understands our world. God knows how fickle and self-centered people can be. God knows how cruel and unjust this world can be because he lived here. He, he experienced it. God entered our mess as a human person named Jesus. And Jesus experienced the worst that humanity could offer. He was hated. He was rejected. He was criticized. I mean, he, he was betrayed by one of his closest friends. And ultimately, he was unjustly condemned and put to death. If anybody should have been a cynic, it was Jesus, Right? I mean, he knew what was in people's hearts. He knew how they thought. He knew how they acted. And if there should have been anybody distrustful of people, if there should have been anybody that was aloof and indifferent and detached, it was Jesus. But Jesus stepped into our messed up world and he conquered hate with love. He overcame death with life. And friends, now because of Jesus, we don't have to give in to cynicism because of Jesus. We can experience hope. We can have the reality of hope in our lives. Now, does that mean that people are, are not going to disappoint you? No, people still disappoint you. Uh, does it mean that the world won't let you down? Well, the world's probably still going to let you down. Does it mean that people will never be in it for themselves or for what they can get out of it? No, people are people and people will let you down. But because you're plugged into a different power source, a power source of hope, cynicism doesn't have to be the end of your story. About the same time we had this experience with uh, Sam and Tracy, I read something by John Maxwell that's just always kind of stuck with me, and I've thought about this a lot over the years. Actually really helped me as a pastor. Some of it goes like this. Uh, he said, people are illogical, unreasonable, and self-centered. Love them anyway. So, I, I mean, it... it it sounds kind of cynical, right? You know, people are illogical, unreasonable, and self-centered. Yeah, I know people. But 
it's not being cynical. It's actually then making the choice to know that and love them anyway. He says, if you do good, people will accuse you of selfish ulterior motives. Do good anyway. People really need help, but may attack you if you help them. Help them anyway. The good you do today will perhaps be forgotten tomorrow. Do good anyway. Because that's what Jesus did. And this is, as his followers, that's what he calls us to do. That's what he empowers us to do. In fact, check this out. What we're called to as, as followers of Jesus, you go back to the beginning of, of Romans 15, and I love the way it's, it's put in, in, in the message. It says, those of us who are strong and able in the faith need to step in and learn and lend a hand to those who falter. And not just do what is most convenient for us. Strength is for service, not status. And each one of us needs to look after the good of the people around us, asking ourselves, how can I help? How can I help you? I say, yeah, 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 but, but people won't appreciate it. People might take advantage of me. And you know, I really, it's not going to do any good. But Paul says, you know what? That's exactly what Jesus did. He didn't make it easy for himself by avoiding people's troubles, but waded right in and helped out. I took on the troubles of the troubled, is the way Scripture puts it. And even if it was written in Scripture long ago, you can be sure that it's written for us. God wants the combination of his steady, constant calling and warm personal counsel in Scripture to come to characterize us keeping us alert for whatever he will do next. And Paul says, may our dependable, dependably steady and warmly personal God, not a cynical God, not a God that, that is aloof or indifferent or detached, but a warmly personal God, develop maturity in you. Develop that same kind of character in you so that you get along with each other as well as Jesus gets along with us all. And then we'll be a choir, not our voices only, but our very lives singing in harmony in a stunning anthem to the God and Father of our Master, Jesus. Uh, you know, cynics have forgotten how to sing. Cynics don't sing. Oh, <laughs> we, need to, we need to allow Jesus to make us into that choir, not only with our voices, but our lives singing in harmony, a stunning anthem to God. And you know how this passage ends? It ends back where we were a few minutes ago with, with verse 13, where it says, oh, may the God of great hope fill you up with joy fill you up with peace so that your believing lives filled with the life-giving energy of the Holy Spirit will brim over with hope. So as followers of Jesus, people who have experienced hope, who know the source of hope, you know, we should really be the least cynical people on earth. 
but it's a choice. It's a choice because we can drift into cynicism. But you can actually choose hope. So, so how do you choose hope? A couple of quick thoughts. Number one, we need to understand that serving people is really about serving Jesus. You know, it's, it's really not about them or it's really not about me and what I give out of it. You know, if I'm going to be a great employee, I'm going to be a great employee, not because I have a great boss or work for a great company. I'm not going to be a great employee because, you know, I want a raise or I want a promotion. No, I'm going to be a great employee because that's what Jesus asked me to do. I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm going to give my best. I'm going to invest in my marriage. I'm going to love my spouse, uh, not just for what I can get out of it, but because that's what Jesus calls me to do. I'm going to serve Jesus by serving my spouse. I'm going to serve Jesus by, by stepping into that place in my family that God has called me to step into, not, not just so I can get my relational fix, you see, when you start to think about it, there really is an irony in the cynic's heart, isn't there? You know, we get all bent out of shape because we think people are just in it for themselves. But really, sometimes it's just us that's in it for ourselves. And that's why we get so disappointed with people because they don't respond the way we think they should respond. You see, that was the part of the problem that, that I had with, with Sam and, and Tracy. You know, in that season, they were, for our little church, kind of our big win. You know, if we ever wondered if we were making a difference, if we ever wondered if God was doing something, we could just look at Sam and Tracy. And we go, yeah, we're, we're, we're doing the right thing as a church. They, they were kind of exhibit A. And it was hard to see our investment walk out the door. But Jesus kind of spoke to my heart and said, well, you know what? They're married. They're growing in their faith. They're actually going to church. <laughs> Maybe not your church. And so, so we, we've got to come back to this understanding that, you know what, we're serving Jesus. We're, we're not serving others. And the question is, is Jesus honored? Is Jesus being glorified in our, in our lives? Uh, the other thing is, is we need to understand is, is that when Jesus is involved, miracles happen. Miracles happen. Because, you know, the cynic says, you know, I see where this is going. I, I've, I've been down this road before. I, I know what happened, and it's going to happen again. But let's be honest, if Jesus is involved, you really don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what can happen. You don't know how it's going to turn out, because when Jesus is involved, miracles can happen. Right? I mean, when, when they took Jesus down from the cross and they laid him in the, in the tomb, the cynic said, I saw this coming. Now, how many messiahs have we had? They've all come, all made these great big promises, and they've all ended up dead. 
But then Sunday happened. <laughs> and Jesus didn't stay dead. It's, it's called Easter. And friends, when Jesus is involved, it doesn't always turn out the way you think it's going to turn out because miracles happen. When Jesus is involved in your life and Jesus is involved in your marriage and Jesus is involved in your job, when Jesus is involved with your kids and in your class and, 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 and with your friends, when Jesus is involved in our world, you just can't cynically say, I know how this goes. Because Jesus can make stuff happen. And yeah, we need to use wisdom. We need to learn from our mistakes, but we need to make the choice to keep risking. We need to keep the, make the choice to keep trusting, to keep hoping, because Jesus, Jesus can make a difference. So maybe you're here this morning and this has been kind of a moment of recognition for you that because of some of the stuff that you've walked through, some of the things that you've experienced, you know what? I've shut my heart down. I've become a little jaded, a little cynical. I've become indifferent and detached. And this morning, the God of hope by the power of the Holy Spirit at work in you wants to come and breathe new life. And if you will choose to understand that it's really about serving Jesus, and if you will choose to believe that when Jesus is involved, miracles can happen, you can walk free from that cynicism. Let's pray. God, I pray that right now in this moment, you would connect us with yourself the God of hope. And God, as your followers, that we would choose to serve you regardless. That ultimately it's about serving you. It's not about how people respond. It's not about how they act with what we've done. That ultimately it's about believing and a God who can make a difference beyond anything that we can ask or think. And so may the God of great hope fill you up with joy and fill you up with peace so that your believing lives filled with the life-giving energy of the Holy Spirit will brim over with hope. Amen.